No, it's good to see everybody this morning. So excited. Uh, I've been looking forward to being able to share the word with you this morning. <clears throat> I'm always excited when I get uh, have the opportunity. And uh, as uh, Melanie said, Pastor uh, Brandon and Pastor Matt are both in the DR. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we are abundantly blessed um, with those two guys and just their faithfulness. And so before we, we jump into the word this morning, I just want to take us a little bit of time real quick and let's pray for them and in uh, their week down in, in the Dominican. They're, they're down there and um, uh, we are developing a partnership with a group of churches uh, in a particular era there in the Dominican Republic that have similar vision to ours. In other words, they are, their vision is to uh, saturate their communities with the gospel to see every man, woman, and child uh, come to faith in Christ. As well, there is another uh, church out of Virginia that is part of the Christ Together, Christ Together Collective that we're a part of that is also down there with some of the leaders. And so Pastor Brandon and Matt will be um, busy. They will be uh, doing some uh, teaching and encouraging with some of the local pastors and, and churches down that way. So let's just pray for them that the Lord would be with them, anoint them, and that this would just be a, uh, a really just a God-ordained uh, God time for them. So Father, we, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we just want to thank you and give you honor just for all of your just wonderful goodness and grace and mercy that you shower upon us. And Father, now, Lord, as a church family, we lift up our pastors. We lift up Pastor Brandon, Pastor Matt, Father God, the, the, other, the other folks who are down there in the Dominican. And Father, we ask that you would anoint their time in Jesus' name. Father God, be with them as they teach that you would use them, Lord God, to not just teach, but Lord God, to encourage, strengthen the churches down there, Lord God, to, uh, uh, to lift, Lord God, and just to, to bring, Lord God, a, a, a good word and a sense of partnership, Lord, and unity among the churches down there. So Father, we thank you for opening up uh, just incredible doors for ministry and opportunity, Lord God. Most of all, we pray that your name would be magnified and glorified. Father, now, Lord God, as we turn our attention, Lord God, to uh, the word of God here in Colossians, Father, I ask that you would be honored, Lord God, as we look into your word, that, Father God, that um, you will give us ears to hear, that, Father, you will speak to us by your spirit, and that, Father God, that we will leave changed, Lord God, uh, and just reflecting more and more the image of Jesus. So, Father, we just thank you for this time to be able to gather as your people. We thank you for your presence that is among us, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so we started into Colossians chapter 1 last week, beginning of the series. We're going to continue that. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. And when, <clears throat> when you look at Colossians chapter 1, you know, really as you read through it, uh, chapter 1 sets up. Uh, the rest of the chapters. And uh, I, I want to mention a couple of things that Brandon mentioned last week, uh, just so that we can pick up uh, uh, and have some context for what's going on. But last week, Paul, uh, 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 Brandon talked about how Paul was, was writing this letter to the, uh, the, the church of uh, Colossae. And in writing to Colossians, their area, and in, uh, just like in our modern culture, in their culture, there was a lot of different streams of thoughts going on. There's a lot of different philosophies. There was this conglomeration of philosophical thought, spiritism, traditionalism, uh, 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 and uh, being mixed in and around the new church. And so one of the things to think about with, this, uh, with, with Colossians is this is a new church. And Paul has not had the opportunity to visit this church. So he does not know them Personally, he knows them by the testimony about them. And so he mentions that early in the chapter, when, uh, and he also repeats it here in verse 9, when he says, man, from the day that we heard that you placed faith in Jesus, man, we've been, we've been for you, man. We're, we're praying for you. We're believing good things for you. How many of y'all understand it's, it's great to know that there's people praying for you, right? It's, you know, it's, it, this is one of the blessings of being involved uh, in a community of faith. Because it's great to be able to come from week to week and to see people and know that, hey, man, these people are locking arms with me and walking with me in faith. That these people are, are for me. That collectively we're, we're growing together. And see, that's what Paul is doing here when he writes them. He, you know, uh, they know him, obviously, by reputation. And so he's writing to let them know, look, 
So me and, and, and the guys that are with me, Timothy and all these guys, man, we are praying for you. And this isn't one of those casual, hey, you know, pray for you. They, man, they, they're, they're getting down in the spirit. They, they, are, they are wrestling with them. They are, they are praying earnestly, we'll see later on, for, uh, for them. And the reason why Paul is doing that is, number one, he believes in the power of prayer, all right? Uh, prayer is a spiritual dynamic that the Lord gives us in, in order to, uh, uh, you know, but when, when, when we pray, what we're saying is that we, we are recognizing that we can't get spiritual things, spiritual things done by natural means. And so Paul is praying with them and just the, the climate and the culture that they are in, right? And so once again, there's different philosophies that are going on. There's an emphasis in the culture on attaining higher knowledge that if you really want to be super spiritual, then you really got to attain to these higher knowledge and have the right teachers and these kinds of things. And then there were these uh, uh, Jewish teachers who are also infiltrating or trying to inf uh, infiltrate the church and, and trying to put a, a, a yoke of bondage on the new believers by saying, hey, if, you, if you're going to follow God, then you're going to have to really follow some strict ritualism and traditionalism and, and legalism. And so they were, they were placing extra yokes on the body of believers. And what they were doing is minimizing the free gift of grace and mercy that that we all trust in to be born into the kingdom, right? And so they're, they're throwing these extra yokes on them. Hey, can any of y'all identify with that in your spiritual walk where maybe you felt like, well, you know, hey, it's like grace isn't enough. You know, you got to be a, a, a little extra holy. You got to wear the right clothes, say the right things, do the right things, and all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that was going on there. There was also a group that was teaching the veneration of angels, that, you know, that, uh, that, that angels were actually in control of the operations of nature to, to some degree. And then there was also an emphasis on asceticism, which is asceticism is, a, is an extreme uh, form of self-denial. And so you, you're proving your spirituality, man, just by how tough you can make your spirituality and, and grind your way through it. Thank God that's not the gospel. And as Brandon told us last week, or reminded us last week, it's Jesus plus nothing is everything. And that's essentially the message that Paul, when he's writing uh, this letter, and in these uh, uh, five verses that we're going to uh, look at, that's essentially what Paul wants to ground the church in. He wants them to make sure, he wants to reaffirm to them that you don't need something in addition to Jesus. You just need to place your whole faith and trust in the mercy that drew you and the grace that saved you. Jesus is all powerful. He is the king and he is all sufficient. That when you place your faith and your trust in him, he releases you from bondage. He delivers you from darkness and he is all that you need. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that sanctifies you, which is the same grace that will transform you. You don't need anything Thing but Jesus. Jesus created all things. By, uh, by him, all things consist. For him, they exist. And by him, they are all held together. You need nothing but Jesus. And that is the simple truth that we're going to break down uh, or, and begin to, uh, begin to look at uh, uh, some implications of that. One of the, to me, one of the great uh, 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 things about, uh, about faith is this, is that um, the most, some of the most powerful foundational truths of our faith are simple in understanding. That doesn't mean that they're shallow. They're simple in understanding, but very profound in their implications, Right, so you think uh, you know, think of uh, uh, in, in Philippians where where it says, or not, excuse me, in the Gospel of Matthew where it says, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and all else will be added unto you." Now you don't have to break down the Greek, you don't have to you know have a, a, a theological degree to to understand that it is simple in its presentation. 
right? You with me or no? All right, it's simple in his presentation. All right, so seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, man, Jesus is the priority. If I, if I will step out in faith and believe God and trust God that he's merciful and that he's graceful and that his word is true, seek him first. Make him the priority of my life. Make him the king of my life. And then the Father will help me sort out everything else around that. Simple in understanding, but how many of y'all have lived long enough to know is a little bit more challenging in application? Right? So, but that's one of the great, uh, 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 one of the great truths is, is this. And so Paul is going to drill down. And we're going to talk about something that, I, that is very, I think, uh, e uh, simple to understand. But man, if you, if you think through the implications of it, man, it's, it's powerful and it, it is profound, uh, profound. And I believe it will encourage you. It will strengthen you. And uh, man, I'll think it would get hot up in here. That's what I think. <laughs> Uh, Everett Harrison, who's a commentator, uh, wrote this. He said, the most dangerous heresies of the church. And what I'm going to say, the, mo the most dangerous false teachings of the, the false teachings or the uh, greatest dangers of the church uh, is when the church is called to combat from time to time are not those things that are openly and blatantly, uh, and blatantly assail the person of our Lord Jesus, but rather those things that subtly detract from his dignity while giving the appearance of honoring him. And that's the kind of stuff that Paul is talking about. So let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll jump into to some stuff. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 9. We're reading through verse 14, and this is what it says. Paul writes, <clears throat> And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Give me thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 is where we're going to spend a lot of time. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, for us to be able to go forward is something uh, that is uh, uh, very important for you to understand about me. It's going to be key to understanding this passage, which is this. I am a huge Atlanta Braves fan. Thank you for those amens. Amen. <laughs> Just by curiosity, how, how, many, how many Braves fans we got, we got in the house? Okay, about 10 more than what we had in the first service. There's like one hand went up, you know. I'm like, man, it's going to be hard to find my amens this morning. But uh, anyway, so I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. Now, right now it is, the, uh, it is winter. We're about a month away from spring training. Look, I grew up a sports guy. I wanted to be a sports announcer when I was growing up. I went to school and got a degree in broadcast journalism. So uh, I have a lot of useless knowledge up here in this head that I'm getting ready to redeem by sharing it with you. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, right now it is the, is the winter time. And during, during the winter time, what the teams are doing uh, is they are preparing right for spring training and for next season. The Braves had the best record in baseball last year. They were the best team in baseball, flamed out in the playoffs, though. From when it counted, just laid a goose egg. Um, so what they've been doing is that they, their general manager has been making some, some moves, adding a little bit here, adding a little bit there. But here recently, in the last week and a half, they made a major, a major move. And what they did is that they traded for a pitcher whose name is uh, Chris Sale. Chris Sale was a member of the Boston Red Sox. And so he's been a member of the Boston Red Sox, I think, I don't know, six or seven seasons, had a good career with the Red Sox. He was under contract with the Red Sox. But the Braves wanted him, so they had to make a trade for Chris Sale. And so what the Braves did is they took a prospect named Vaughn Grissom, uh, who's an up-and-comer, but there's no room for him on the Braves club. And they traded Vaughn Grissom to the Red Sox so that they could get Chris Sale. Now Chris Sale is a member of the Atlanta Braves. So when Chris Sale was a member of the Boston Red Sox, the Red Sox 
controlled his rights. That meant that the Red Sox could tell him when he needed to show up for training camp. They're the ones who scheduled him when to pitch. When he got injured, they're the ones who watched over his recovery. They required certain things for him. There were things written in his contract that if he performed and performed at a certain level, then he would get a bonus. Uh, get a bonus. And so all of this was, con- uh, was controlled by the Red Sox because he was under contract with their team. So the Red Sox controlled, I want you to hear, they had authority over his career as long as he was under contract with their team. But then the Braves delivered him (laughs) from that losing team and traded him and brought him on to a winning team, the Atlanta Braves. They won 104 games. So the Braves acquired his rights. As soon as they got him and acquired his rights, they reworked his contract, and now they have him on, on contract. Uh, and under, and this is how it's worded in the sports pages. He is under their control for the next three years. And so now the Braves get to tell Chris Sale, this is when you're going to pitch. This is when you need to show up. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to work out. Uh, and, 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 and so the Red Sox, what they can't do is look at Chris Sale and say, hey, look, you were a member of our team for seven years. Therefore, you must do one, two, three. They don't have that right anymore. It doesn't matter how long he'd been a part of the Red Sox. It wouldn't matter if he grew up a Boston Red Sox fan and that is his hometown team. Now that he has been transferred or traded to the Atlanta Braves, the Red Sox no longer have any say over his life because he's not in their domain anymore. He's over here with the Atlanta Braves. And now it's the Atlanta Braves who get to teach him the Atlanta Braves way. So the Braves are going to teach him winning baseball. All right, so I'm exaggerating to make a point. The Braves are going to teach him winning baseball. They're going to, they're going to teach him the Braves way. He's going to learn a new culture. He's going to learn a new way to approach the season. He might learn, even though he's a veteran pitcher, he might learn a few things to help him sharpen his craft. But what if, and if Chris Sell knows what's good for him, what he won't do is say, wait, 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 as the Braves are trying to enculturate him, what he won't do is say, wait, 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 wait. When I was in Boston, this is how we did it. Because over here, Brian Snicker, the manager of the Braves and the GM, well, they're really not interested in how Boston did it. This here is Atlanta. And this is how we do it in Atlanta. So you're going to have to put off that Red Sox mindset, which is a loser mindset, and you're going to have to put on the new uniform. You're going to have to put on the mind and the culture of the Atlanta Braves. This describes our walk of faith. Look here. What does it mean to be delivered and transferred? Paul starts out talking about that there are two domains or there are two kingdoms. There is the, in, uh, there's the domain of darkness, the Red Sox, <laughs> and there's the domain of the Braves, the, 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 or there's the kingdom of, of light, or as it says here, the kingdom of the dear son. Everybody knows that Jesus is a Braves fan. All right, so the domain, the word domain literally means to exercise power and authority. The word darkness, we all know the symbolism of that uh, from the Bible. The word darkness means ignorance. It means falsehood. It means sin. Uh, it means to be ignorant of the divine things resulting in the, uh, uh, that results in living an ungodly life that originates from, from hell. It means falsehood, lies, and deception. How many of you all know, man, that humanity came off the rails because of deception and because of lies that man believed? in Genesis chapter 2 that resulted in all sorts of death and brokenness and shame and sadness. That's what characterizes the dominion of of darkness. And so sin, sin is self-centeredness. 
And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, man, this is what darkness looks like. He says, uh, uh, the acts of the flesh or the acts of the natural man or the acts of sin or the acts of darkness are obvious. I'm not going to list them all, but he talks about sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, uh, division, faction, envy. And he says this, those who, those who are bound by such things, those who live in such things will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason why that is, is this, is that when we, when, before you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you were under, and I was under, the domain of darkness. In other words, darkness had authority and the right to rule over our lives. We didn't know it. Once again, the, the, uh, uh, the very word darkness means to be ignorant. So for the first 17 years of my life, I spent living my life in ignorance to the things of God. I went to catechism. I, you know, I was being taught, but it didn't mean anything to me. It didn't move my heart. God, God was a, a, a non-factor. God was some ancient old man up there in the heavenlies doing his thing, spinning, you know, spinning the rings around Saturn. I'm down here you know, uh, uh, living my life, and God has has no, uh, no bearing, no influence on it whatsoever. See, that was my ignorance. I was, in, I was ignorant of the things of God. I was blinded by darkness. But as long as I was in darkness then, and as long as I was living selfishly, as long as I was living to chase my own desires, my own appetites, uh, my own ambitions, as long as I was living to live my life for the approval of others, and I'm living by the ways of darkness because that's how Things work in the kingdom of darkness. You seek things to satisfy yourself. And as long as I was walking in that manner, then I gave darkness and the prince of darkness, he had right. He had my rights. He had authority. So therefore, he could try to dictate to me or he would dictate to me the, uh, if I was living in envy or if I was living in, in, in discord and these kinds of things, then uh, uh, what he would do is then he would cause me to feel shame and guilt over my actions. Maybe because of certain circumstances and trials that, uh, had, that had blown and storms that had blown through my life, but uh, so now I'm, I'm living in fear. Maybe relationships had uh, come unglued, and so now I'm living in, in, in suspicion towards other people, and, I, and I, can't, I can't trust. Or maybe the home I grew up in and, you know, that there were maybe certain elements about that. And, and uh, maybe I, was, I grew up in a home that was abusive. And, and so, therefore, I walk around with, this, with a, a chain of bondage, of, of shame on my life. And see, as long as I'm living in the kingdom of darkness, as long as I'm living a life of myself, then I am under the domain, the right, or the dominion of darkness. And that's what we all were before coming to the knowledge of Jesus. And so then there's the kingdom of the beloved son. So in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says this is for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. In other words, the kingdom of God is not a matter of this natural world. It's not a matter, it's not a matter of, the, of the material world. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So once I trusted in Christ and I was transferred to this kingdom, this kingdom no longer had rights over me. But now the kingdom that has my rights is ruled by King and Savior Jesus. And Jesus is the king and the authority of our lives. And he has the right to rule because he is the one who died and he is the one that was erected. As soon as, as, soon as God began to, to draw on my heart. So think about, about, think about, uh, about the times that, that God drew, he began drawing you to himself. And so when I was around 16 years old, the, the Lord began to draw my heart. And, and that which I was ignorant of, he began to, through different people and different certain uh, senses, he began to re reveal himself to me. And I began to feel drawn 
by his grace. I began to feel drawn by his acceptance and drawn to him by his love. But at some point in time, I had to, I had to uh, place my faith and trust in him, right? And so when we're at that point, even though I was in the domain of darkness, God is drawing me to his kingdom. And even though the enemy was throwing all his stuff at you, at that moment that you were deciding to place faith in Jesus, whether there's a specific moment in time or whether it for you was a progressive thing, the enemy never wanted you to come to faith in Christ. And so he, he's throwing everything at you, but at some point in time, the draw of the Lord on your heart became such that you came to this realization, he really was beaten for my transgressions. He really was nailed to a cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And it is an absolute truth that he rose up on the third day and the guy who raises from the dead must be God. And if he's risen from the dead and he is God, I can't help but serve him and love him and give him my heart and give him my soul and give him my mind because he has proven that he is good. He has proven that he is powerful. He has proven that he is creator because he's the only one who's been risen from the dead. And as soon as that happened, you were translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light where now what rules over you is the loving, merciful, graceful Savior whose kingdom, uh, whose kingdom is marked by righteousness. You no longer have to be ashamed. You no longer have to be under guilt. It's marked by peace. I don't have to, I'm not, the devil, the, the devil of darkness can't chain me to depression and anxiety and, 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 uh, and convince me that the end of my life, that there's no hope and there's no promise because Jesus has broken those chains and now I hold to the hope of my salvation and understand that I serve this God who works all, no matter what I see or what I'm experiencing in this world, he works all things together for, the, uh, for my good, for those who love him. So his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy, a, a steady confidence that my God is able, that my God sees me, that God, my God hears me. He's, he, he is master over all the details of my life. And no matter what I'm seeing or experiencing, I trust that the Lord is working his best towards me. Doesn't mean it's not tough. Doesn't mean it's not, doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy. Doesn't mean that we don't wrestle. Doesn't mean that we're immune from uh, the, uh, the, the, the winds of the world. But instead of being tossed about by every circumstance or by every individual who wants to come, come at you or by every circumstance or storm that comes your way, instead of being tossed and fro uh, uh, on, 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 on the storm and the waves of the storm, we're over here and my boat might be getting tossed, but Jesus is in the boat with me and I'm just waiting for him to wake up and speak to the storm and say, be still. So the Bible says that Jesus delivered us and transferred us. That word deliver literally means to draw to oneself. It means that Jesus rescues and delivers by drawing us to him. He draws and we respond. The word redemption literally means emancipation. So, the, so these words, domain, kingdom, uh, 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 Redemption, which actually means emancipation. These are like governmental words. They're like legal words. And what I'm trying to, 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 to highlight here is, okay, so, so redemption means emancipation and liberation. It means to be literally, the root word means to be separated from one thing. To be separated from one thing so that the union or fellowship that you had here is destroyed. Man. Y'all catching this? See, you were a Red Sox. You were in the domain of the Red Sox. You were, you and I were of darkness. But God drew your heart 
and you said yes. And when you said yes, chains broke off of you. Light pierced through the thick darkness, and we know that where light comes, darkness flees. And the, the change that broke off of you was that no longer does the kingdom of darkness or the dominion of darkness no longer has rights over your life because you have been emancipated and transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Where once you were under condemnation, now you are under forgiveness. So Paul says that you are redeemed and that we are forgiven. And Paul, in chapter 2 of Colossians, defines and talks about and breaks down forgiveness like this. I'm just going to read it. It can be a warm-up for a couple of weeks from now, all right, when we actually go over it. But this is what Paul says about forgiveness. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, he says, when you were dead in your sins, that's the result of darkness, right? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were living in the domain of darkness. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. In other words, he put you into the kingdom of the Son. God made you alive with Christ and forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. My goodness, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and the authorities of darkness and triumphing over them by the cross. Man, I love that. He says, having canceled the charge against you, having canceled the charge against me, he stood against the condemnation, and, the, and Paul says, man, he, he took it away when he nailed it on the cross, and then he disarmed principalities and power, which means then that you are firmly, your position spiritually is in the kingdom of light, and now the kingdom of darkness just as much as the Red Sox might want to say to Chris Sale, you got to do A, B, and C, they know the kingdom of darkness no longer has right to say, you must feel guilty, you must be ashamed, you must uh, 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 feel bad about uh, all the things that you've done, that you, uh, uh, that you won't survive, that you can't make it through this circumstance, that uh, there's no way that you can be a good father given the house that you grew up in. There's no way that uh, you can be a, a, a believer because you knew what you did all them years ago. You don't live under the change of bondage. That you, you don't have to, we're not changed to shame. We are not chained to, to fear or, or, uh, uh, or anger or any of these things because darkness no longer has say over our lives. And the problem that we run into as believers is this, is that as instantaneous as it is to be transferred from this kingdom into this kingdom, Even though our position has changed, we still remember what it was like to be on the Red Sox. Literally, the word transferred means to be relocated from one place to another. But the problem becomes is that I'm in this new kingdom, but now I got to learn. I, it's the opportunity and the problem at the same time. In other words, I'm coming into this new kingdom, but I got a, I got a brain that's still wired from when I was over here. So now, now, that I begin, now that I've been transferred, I need to be transformed. So, for those of y'all who are baseball fans, maybe you're movie fans. How many of y'all... Know the movie Shawshank Redemption? All right. One of my favorite movies. Great movie. All right. So in the Shawshank Redemption, uh, you know, Shawshank is a prison, 
and is following all these prisoners who have been sentenced, you know, to, to like life in prison. There's one character, it's an older, an older gentleman, his name's Brooks. Brooks has been in Shawshank for like 40 or 50 years, and he gets parole. So he's been in prison, he's been in Shawshank all this time, and then all of a sudden one day his parole comes through, and pretty much in a moment's time, he gets to walk out the prison doors, and, and he's, a free, he's a free man, he's been liberated. He's been uh, emancipated. But Brooks has been in jail for so long, and the setting of the movie is such that Brooks, when Brooks went into jail, there was like no such thing as cars. Now 50 years has gone by, and there, you know, the cities have grown up, cars are crisscrossing and everything, and there's a scene in the movie where like, he's standing in a corner, and he, he can't get across the street because the, the traffic is, is, is so fast. And he writes a letter back to, uh, to his friends uh, who are still in prison, and he says, man, it, so life has done, got itself in a big hurry, you know, and, and he's talking about how hard it is for him to try to navigate his new life. And uh, so his parole officer has given, gotten him a job uh, at, the, uh, at the food fair, bagging groceries. And uh, he says the manager is always on him because it's not fast enough. He has arthritis in his hands. And, he, and in the movie, you see him trying to, to bag groceries and the uh, manager is on him about it and all this. And, and he, uh, he just can't keep up. And in his letter to his friends, he says, I don't, I don't like this. He says, sometimes when I'm at work, I, I think about getting a gun and robbing the food fair just so that they'll send me back. He says, I can even shoot the manager and just sort of, you know, just to make sure, you know. And, and he says, I, I, I don't like that. I can't live like this. And uh, he hangs himself. So in the letter, uh, in the movie, it picks up with um, Morgan Freeman's character reading the letter and all the guys sitting with him on, on a bleacher. And uh, he reads the letter and they all come to the realization that, that Brooks has killed himself and they're wondering, they're wondering why, man, he was, he was free. And then so uh, Red, Morgan's character, Morgan Freeman's character, begins to explain. He says, you know, this is all he's known. Brooks has been in this prison for 50 years. I lived a life apart from Christ for 18 years. Um, Brooks has been in this prison for, for 50 years, and, and when you first get into the prison, you despise these walls because they're holding you in. He says, you just, at first you begin to despise these walls, then you get used to these walls, and then he says, then you come to depend upon these walls. And they said, what are you even talking about? He says, Brooks couldn't make it out there because he was, he was institutionalized. This is all he knew. And because this was all he knew, he couldn't, he couldn't make it out here. And I think about that, so man, that's a, it's a great example of what we deal with when we come to faith in Jesus. Because see, this is, we get, we, we, we trust in Jesus, and, but we've been trained in this kingdom. Our, 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 our thinking is worldly. But thank God, we place our faith and we say yes to Christ and we are immediately transferred into the kingdom of light. But I still have old thinking. And this was Paul's big concern uh, for the church was that the fact of, okay, hey, you're, you're in this uh, society and all these different philosophies are, are, are coming at you. And so Paul's concern was that they, is, is to make sure that they stayed rooted on Christ and his sufficiency, but then also understanding that you need to be transformed in your mind. So in Romans chapter 1, in, 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 in verse 2, Paul writes about this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your natural bodies, to present your desires, your appetites, your, your, your need of, a, of, of, of approval, your ambitions. Present that to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world. The word conformed there actually means schematic. It, it, it means that your brain's been wired by the world in a, in a certain way. And Paul says, don't, don't be conformed to that schematic anymore, but be transformed. In other words, be, tra be changed into another form is literally what it means. It means to be transfigured, to be made new by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and may discern what is the will of God and what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of of the Father. And so when we, the, when we uh, uh, come and place our faith in Jesus, immediately 
The Father gives us a new nature. The, 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 the Bible talks about it, calls it the divine nature. The Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us, and we are born again or born anew, and immediately we are counted righteous by God because of the blood of Jesus, right? And so I got this new nature, and the exciting thing about the walk that you are now embarking on is that you, we will spend the rest of our days unpacking what this new nature means. I get the opportunity to be taught by the Holy Spirit under the authority of, of Christ, and, and my mind, get, uh, I, I, get, I have a, a new nature, which then allows my mind to be changed, to be transformed, so that I'm not trying to, my life in this new, um, my way of life in this new life that God has given me is not being hamstrung by the old thinking and the old things that used to rule over my life because Jesus has broke those chains and now I just, now I have been liberated and I need to have a transformed mind. And this is what Paul begins to pray. So he tells, he tells the, uh, the believers, he says this, he says, look, my, I'm praying for you that you would be in verse nine. I'm praying for you and asking, I'm laboring for you, I'm interceding for you that you may be filled with all knowledge of his will and all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Don't be filled with natural wisdom. Don't be filled with worldly wisdom and understanding, but be filled with godly knowledge and spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. The word uh, filled there literally means to be filled to the brim so you can carry it out. To be filled for the brim. And what I want all of us to be encouraged by is this, is that God is liberal in expressing his goodness to us. God wants to uh, saturate us with the knowledge and revelation of who he is. He's not holding back. He wants us to know him. He wants us to lean in by grace to Come to a knowledge of him. The word knowledge means to possess a full and comprehensive knowing of God based on an intimate experience. See, God's, God's saying, look, you don't, you don't have to come by somebody else. You come. You come to my presence. You spend time with me. You show up. You open up the word, and when you open up the word, I'll be, where, I'll be there with you, and I'll use my spirit to, to teach you and to change you. And don't worry about if you don't feel like it's spiritual. Don't worry about it if you don't feel like you understand it. Just keep showing up in my presence, because every time we show up in the presence of God, you know what's happening? Transformation's happening. He says, man, I want you to be filled with all knowledge and, 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 and wisdom. The word wisdom means to actually discern the deeper meaning. In other words, God calls us to go and not just be satisfied with headline Christianity. Not just be satisfied with the refrigerator verses. Y'all know, know what a refrigerator verse is? This is the verse you have on your refrigerator. <laughs> you thought it was going to be deep. You should know better than that by now. <laughs> In other words, you know, you know what you do? Maybe you take our favorite verses, right? We stick it on a refrigerator, got it on your desk and all that. And look, nothing wrong with that. I do that. I got, man, I got my go-tos. I got, I, got, I got the things that, you know, as soon as I read it, it gives me encouragement and all that. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, though, they're satisfied with just headline refrigerator Christianity. In other words, they, they never go beyond that. They don't unpack. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. They don't unpack what that means. You know, they're, 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 they're satisfied with books and podcasts and listening to their favorite, favorite preacher and all that. And what they're, what they're not doing is actually getting in God's face one-on-one -on -one and having their own intimate experience. So every, every Sunday when, when Brandon comes, man, and I thank God for Pastor Brandon. Man, I thank God for, man, just how he comes each week and, and preaches the word. But you know what's happening when, when Brandon's preaching to us? That's, that's Brandon having gone into the presence of God and him, him getting fresh bread. And then he comes and he tells you about his experience 
with Jesus, which is awesome because we need that. We need to, I, I, you know, I want to hear what God's doing in your life, but it, it, it's, it's him telling us something that he has found to be true based on his experience. You can have your experience. Monday morning, you get up, open up the Bible, sit in your chair, get your cup of coffee going, man, and just begin reading the word and show up in the presence of God because uh, spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding is only going to come by stepping into the spirit and spending time with the Father. So Paul goes on to say, he says, hey, I want you to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word understanding actually means the ability to apply the knowledge and the wisdom to practically apply it to any situation that you run into. And Paul says, I want you to, to, to bear fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. So Paul says, look, when you, you, you gain this by being in communion with the Father. The word communion means to have an intimate exchange. It means to share your thoughts and your feelings and your experiences. Man, that's, see, that's what we do in prayer. We share with the Father our, our thoughts and our, and our feelings, and we, we exchange our experiences, and, and I'm, I'm able to offload my burdens, and he's able to onload his grace. I'm able to tell him my worries, and he's able to give me assurance by his spirit and by his word. And Jesus said about his word, heaven and earth might pass away, but his words will never pass away. And he says, when we do this, and I'm wrapping up, when we do this, our walk will have the aroma of God. He says, it'll be a walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, it's a walk that, that man, that is sauteed in the presence. You know, now I'm, I'm learning, I, I'm in this kingdom here, and I've been emancipated, and I'm being transformed, and day by day, moment by moment, the Spirit of God is changing me into the image of Jesus, and it's not a work that I do. I just show up in the presence of God to have communion with God, and God sheds his grace because the same, the same drawing that we responded to to get into the kingdom is the same drawing we respond to each and every day to grow and be transformed by the kingdom of God. Walking a walk worthy of the Lord is simply, each and every, is, is simply waking up each and every morning and saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will come. Yes, Lord, I will go. It's a walk that bears fruit. And the three things, just real quick, that he says, he says it's a walk He says it's a walk that bears fruit. He says it bears fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a walk that transforms us on the inside so that the fruit of spirit is birthed in us and also so that we're able to bear fruit outwardly as we interact and deal with people and encounter situations. It's a walk that is empowered to persevere. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's not according to my might. It's not according to my ability. It's not according to my, as the false teachers in Colossus were, 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 were saying, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not according to my ability to be disciplined and, and to be spiritual and to wear and say the right things, man. It's according to God's might. It's, it's according to the glorious might of Christ strengthened with his power. I just avail myself to lean into his, his grace. And when he gives me that word to persevere means the endurance it's, 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 the word endurance means to have the ability to bear things and in bearing them, see the glory of God. Because we know practically that in this life, Jesus says, you will have trials. There's going to be challenges to our faith. But Jesus gives us the grace to stand in trial. 
Once again, doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean it's not difficult sometimes. Doesn't mean that we won't wrestle with why certain things are happening, but we can have this promise of knowing this, is that if I'm in the boat and the waters are raging and Jesus is in the boat, as long as Jesus is in my boat, if I'm still going through the storm, then there's a purpose for the storm. And Jesus has purposes for the storm that are better than if I did not go through the storm. But at some point in time, Jesus is going to stand up in the bow of the boat and he's going to say, peace, be still. Why? Because he is full of grace. He is full of goodness. It's not by my might, it's by his power. And then thirdly, this is a walk that is full of thanksgiving. Why is it full of thanksgiving? Because I remember what it was like over there. I remember what it was costing. God, I'm no longer, I'm no longer under darkness. In other words, I'm no longer under, under ignorance. I thought I was something here. I thought I was getting after it here. I thought I was succeeding and achieving here. I thought I was, I was something over here. You know, or, you know, I was suffering with whatever. But I, I, I you know, uh, I'm over here now and... God's given me a revelation of, of what it took to deliver me. It took him sending his only son. It took, it took the only son walking a sinless life for three years. It took, it took, uh, it took that, that, that righteous Jesus uh, uh, to be nailed on a cross and to shed his blood so that I could be forgiven of sins, so that the requirement and the condemnation against me could, could be wiped away, and he shed his blood, and no longer am I under the dominion of somebody he rose on the third day. That's what it took to get me from there to here. And I remember that drawing. And I remember how God moved in relationships and circumstances so that I would no longer be ignorant, but so I, I, would, I would come and I responded to that. I remember. So I have a life of thanksgiving because I realize there's nothing that I could ever have done to escape darkness and to inherit his grace. And so now all I need, what I need to do is to be filled with all spiritual wisdom, knowledge, that he gives, and simply today, I need to say yes to how he's drawing me. How is he drawing you this morning? How is he drawing you this morning? Be encouraged. He set you free. He's wiped it away. Now he's in the business of transforming you because he has transferred you into his kingdom. Let's pray.